1: Hello everyone, and uh, well, by everyone I mean the three or four people that asked us why there wasn't a uh, an episode of Rule the Roost podcast last week. Um, do apologise for that. It's no disrespect to Cardiff. Well, I don't think we have much respect for Cardiff at the same time. Well, at least in their current. I'm I'm digging myself a hole already. Hello, Raj, how are you doing? I'm not
2: too bad. Yourself?
1: Yeah, not too bad. Um, I mean, let's let's. Backpedal a bit there when I say I don't have much respect for Cardiff. We were talking about this just off air. Um, we were saying that you know the red shirts all this malarkey. There was a lot of them there, wasn't there, in the game?
2: Yeah, um, I think. Firstly, just to join you in the apology, I think it's probably more my fault than yours. You were away in Amsterdam on business, and I think we'll leave that there just because what business you've got in Amsterdam we don't we can't broadcast. It was business, <laughs> business, important Import business. Export
1: yeah i work, I worked long and
2: hard hey, yeah. you get it yeah no, no. yeah <laughs> anyway um yeah, that was probably my more my fault than yours. We did try and get somebody involved, but they had to to drop out unfortunately, um mitigating but, um, circumstances, yeah, we'll leave it at that um but yeah, sorry that there was no show. It's quite nice that people were concerned that we we weren't putting something out. It gives us a tiny bit of heart that somebody's actually listening to this. that's it. we said I think we had three. Three different people ask us why there was no podcast.
1: So we've, uh, yeah, thanks, thanks, guys. I think we've made it. That's it now, isn't it? That's it. We we're going to be like the uh, fighting cock lads now. You know, rolling in money, um, setting up fan movements to make ourselves more money. You know, you know what that lot are like, driving around in Bentleys and eighteen eighty two, all that malarkey. <laughs>
2: I'm not going to leave the house without sunglasses anymore. Oh, mate, don't you—you won't
1: be able to. Trust me. I've been there, mate. I tasted that success, and you know, let's just say the come down is still happening. Um, (laughs) But uh, yeah, no, I mean Cardiff. I mean, I think that the nature of the—well, not the nature of the result. I mean, the way in which the goal came about last minute made it kind of seem like, oh, we scraped that, but. We
2: absolutely caned them. Yes, yeah, it was. Um, yeah, it was. It was fairly embarrassing reading for for Cardiff just looking at the stats. Um, I think we had a league high amount of shots, um, it, not including shots blocked. It went even higher than that. Their keeper, as is the way when Tottenham play somebody, had an absolute worldy, um, and we should have won by more, but. The fact that we, we carried on plugging on, we had the belief in ourselves and we, we went and won the game in the 93rd minute just shows how how far we've come and that this new set of players is starting to bed in because the nice point, other than winning late, was the fact that it was Lamella and um, poligno that linked for the for the winning goal. Um, Lamella even got up and won a header, which is which is good to see because people think that he might be a tiny bit lightweight. He was... He was mixing it up a little bit when he came on, and he looked very good, well, um, which we, is encouraging. You know, I mean,
1: one of my immediate things when I saw photos of him, I thought, "Wow, he looks he looks pretty skinny, this lad." I don't know how how he's going to do, but when you actually see him out on the pitch, he's he's a fairly big lad, though. Like he's he's got a big frame, he's tall. Like I think I think it's quite beguiling his appearance.
2: The, the, this is the thing with with football's appearances. When that, I remember, for example, when Luka Modric came, people accused him that he'd be too lightweight for the premier league i think but it was actually
1: was like the... arson wenger of all people who said he was too lightweight for the premier league so you know yeah suck on that mr wenger <laughs> yeah if you're yeah. listening
2: bitch yeah who've, <laughs> yeah who've you got playing playmaker for you no one decent i bet anyway um you, they accused him of being too lightweight and um but when he when he used to play, people tried to kick him, but he was like a weevil. Like his <laughs> low centre of gravity and knocking about, he'd never go anywhere. He just seemed to to glide past people. I was going to
1: say, like a weevil hiding in like old flower pots and things at the bottom of a garden. Yeah, no, a weevil yeah.
2: one of those little toys, wasn't it? You I thought you said a weevil. I was thinking like, Is that's, it a weevil or a weevil? No, it's
1: a weevil that you're talking about, but I thought you said a weevil. I think that's that's a pretty strange, uh, you know. No, I meant a
2: weeble. I meant those rounded bottom things that when you flicked them, they'd self-write oh, he's so they'd like never a, fall
1: over. He's like a weeble or a weevil, isn't he, really?
2: He's, yeah, whatever. He's one of them. He's a, yeah, he's an amalgamation of both, a, a weevil, weeble, love child. But that's what he reminds me of. He doesn't seem to, to go down easily, which is good, because then he'd get accused of diving. But um, I was really impressed with the performance. It was dominant um, in a place that apparently isn't easy to go. Um, City lost there not long ago. So, um, yeah, I mean, joint top of the league. The,
1: the, one of the main things I wanted to gauge your opinion on, like as we said, and you can't deny the fact that the goalkeeper had an absolutely standout performance, a worldie, um, if you like.
0: Mm-hmm. However,
1: should we be concerned, I mean, that we're not putting away more chances? I mean, does this lie with... Soldado, I mean, he had a couple of clear cut chances and the goalkeeper made a couple of fantastic saves, but should he be doing better in front of goal? Should the team be doing better in front of goal? I mean, we've seen, what is it, the stat this week that we've had the most shots on target in the entirety of Europe, or we've had the first, third most shots on target, haven't we, out of the top five European leagues? Yet we have the lowest conversion rate in the Premiership.
2: Well, I think while we've got the best defence in Europe, it's not too concerning that we're not scoring that too many goals because we're not conceding that many either. Um, I think that's something that we've repeatedly said is that we're not going to get involved in too many high score lines this season by the looks of things. But I think I'd be more concerned with the lack of putting them away earlier had we not been winning games. And had we not won that game, it would have been a larger concern. But the fact that they knew, they almost had that belief that they will score at some point, it was it was good to see. Um, obviously, we do want them to win more comfortably. We do want to see him put away those chances. But if you watch the game, then there's no way you can account for a, a, a goalkeeper playing that well. The Cardiff defence were non-existent. We managed to to break them down and go past them several times. It was the fact that the goalkeeper seemed to be. On a different level to, to the rest of his team. I mean if I was working for the FA he'd be the first person to piss I was checking after the game. <laughs> but um
1: <laughs> or you'd find his iron brew chip fat, mate, so it'll be like, right. <laughs> Is he Scottish? Yeah he is, so it works, yeah.
2: Um no, but um I think yeah, I'd be more concerned. I think the last the, the move itself and the finish was, was top class. lamella's ball and your back heel was just outrageous To given it's the 93rd minute and we haven't scored yet. It's something you'd usually try when you were four or five goals up and you were taking a piss, but to win a game by doing that's a, a touch of class. It's, um, I mean, one thing that
1: I was keeping an eye on, is particularly interesting that you say about the Cardiff defence, was Stephen Coker And I think... If anyone has any concerns about us letting him go, I think they should officially put them to rest now. Because for me, he was so painfully average, if not poor for them. It highlights particularly, well, exactly the reason why we let him go in that he just isn't good enough. And we got offered good money for him. I don't know. That's That was my opinion after watching him play against us. But
2: it just looked like he couldn't handle anything that we were throwing that way. Well, he he had the tendency even while he was with us to to look like he was slightly in awe of the occasion. I remember when I saw him live against Leeds, he was terrible. Um, the the fact that the ground was a tiny bit intimidating; they were all shouting him, um, singing, and the fans. Are, it's a it's a massive skip like places at London Road. It's, it's essentially it's <laughs> an oversized skip. It's a massive square thing. The fans are quite close to the ground and it does hold noise quite well because it's got one really large side and he seemed to be fairly blown away by that and that's concerning because the one position you're not allowed to be phased is is central defence, which is why players like Michael Dawson are so good there is because they seem to, no matter the situation, want to step up whereas he seems to, it may be something that will come with age but he, he does at the moment look like he has the tendency to just kind of shut off uh, you better not be praising Michael Dawson
1: there, mate. You know He's he's useless if you listen to half of our fan base. I don't know. I'm not going to start on that. It irritates me. But I love Dawson. I think he's great. I
2: think, yeah, I think Michael Dawson is somebody that doesn't come in for enough praise purely on the basis that 99% of the players in the Premier League, if they were offered a move like he was to a place where he would be offered... First-team football for a reportedly a larger uh, wage than what we were offering him. um oh, 100% he, he would have been offered more money. Uh, QPR just threw money around last yeah. season. He would have probably been their captain, um, their starting centre-back. They wouldn't have probably bought Christopher Sambra had they got him. But the fact that he wanted to stay at the club, so was his... his apparent love for us. And I think it's I don't even think it's apparent. I think you can clearly see from the way he reacts when we win, the way we react when we lose, and the way he conducts himself around the place that he does love being a Tottenham player. The fact that he worked his way back up into being in the team has that passion. Has that that want for us to succeed is is something that almost far outweighs ability in the fact that we've had players who've had better ability than him, natural ability. For example, Tom Huddleston, but don't have that passion and want to succeed, and you've got to have a mixture of the both. We uh, have with us a very special guest today.
1: No, I, I big him up a bit. We're uh, we're speaking to a gentleman of a rather what I would call smelly persuasion, um, as we do have a a highly charged fixture coming up this week. So, in light of this, I'd like to welcome Joe Tweeds to Rule the Roost. Um, he writes for the Sabotage Times and for his own blog, uk. Hello, Joe. Welcome to Rule the Roost. Um, it's been a it's been a, a summer of change once again at the Bridge. I mean, to be honest, transition at Chelsea it just seems to be a, a you seem to be in a perpetual state of flux, really, don't you? At, yeah. at, at Shamford Bridge, you know, okay, like, like that. See that bance there? Where it's um, Yeah. Bringing the bands, um, yeah, no, but Mourinho's is back. As if anyone hadn't heard, um, I think you you called me out. You got a bit angry with me um, not long ago, me mouthing off on Twitter about about Chelsea and about the the media's loving for for Jose. You, you don't seem to share that sentiment, do you, Jay?
3: No, I mean, it, I mean, you only have to see kind of the reaction really between between the, you know Moyes start at United and, and Mourinho's at at Chelsea. I mean, you know, we played we played pretty well at Everton. Um, have absolutely no idea how we didn't score. Um, Barza was a was a bit of a debacle, but you know, two two two, two kind of losses and the articles that were in the, the paper. I mean, usual suspects: John Cross, obviously Arsenal fan. Tick, tick short there, um, was kind of, you know, writing Mourinho off and the club off after, what, five games? Um, I mean, personally, I, mean, I, you know, I feel the season hasn't even really started. I mean, it's been so soft what with internationals and obviously early rounds of the Cups and European stuff as well. So it's a bit hard to kind of to judge. But, um, yeah, I mean, the the comparison with, with United, well, I think, has been pretty pretty poor, uh, to be honest. Um, you know, beaten at Liverpool for the first time in God knows how long. Um just destroyed by City the other day. Um I'd be a lot more concerned if I supported them than us at the moment. I think we're actually showing signs of, of, of slowly getting into gear. But I think United's um you know squad I don't think is that fantastic. I think Fergie's done well to, to cover the cracks there. But I mean you just look at the, the media coverage. I mean it was, you know, wall to wall Chelsea, Mourinho, it's not clicking, you know, digging out the the response to matter, Louise, etc. and United it's sort of barely barely kind of made any kind of headway at all. So yeah I mean you know they love him primarily because he generates you know generates back pages i mean the kind of ten fifteen minute chat he had with rednap the other night on the, was it the Saturday night football program whatever um basically you know gave them copy for an entire week that they could delve into and, and pick apart it was um, it was
1: absolutely fantastic I'll be honest as someone, yeah. i mean so, you know, someone you who know, doesn't you know, particularly you know. like Jamie Redknapp at all it was quite good to see him squirm and i don't know if you, did you, did you watch the 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 offending the offending program
3: yeah, I mean, I, I'm obviously I was at the game. Um, I came home, sort of watched the uh, watched the highlights and, and watched the kind of uh, the sort of debate afterwards. But so you know, regardless of, of whether you, you like him or you know you're a Chelsea fan, to actually see a manager come out and explain in that level of detail the the thinking behind you know kind of real tactical stuff on on the pitch, which I think quite refreshing and. You know, uh, a lot of the guys are saying that, that any manager could do that at any, any given time, but I think for Mourinho, it's actually come out and, and really kind of illustrate what he's looking to achieve. It was also, I mean, quite reassuring for Chelsea fans. But I, I think it was actually something that perhaps should happen, you know, happen a little bit more often. Um, I'd love to hear from from certain managers about what they what they're actually looking to do in a game. You know, thirty second clip after match after they've been beaten. I don't think it's particularly great, but yeah, I mean, I think it's it's something that we probably would look to, or I'd like to see a lot more from managers, to be honest.
1: I think in in defence of him, I, I do find it quite tedious, and it's it's pretty boring to hear all this kind of as as you were saying, you know, have the wheels come off? Jose's failed already, yada yada yada. People seem to just kind of neglect the fact he hasn't been at the club for several years now, and the team that he has come back into, albeit having you know some similar players or some yeah. of you know exactly the same players, it is essentially completely different team so you know it is a new managerial appointment yes he knows a club yes he has an affinity with the fans so he doesn't need to work on that but to say you know oh he's failed already or it's not working or this it, it's just knee jerk and you know you know what the press are like but one thing I was interested to get from your perspective I mean it seems to be that a lot of the press and a lot of Chelsea fans seem to have washed over the how he left you originally and how Things were in the past few, you know, in the latter few months. So, I mean, was that ever a concern for you with him coming back at all?
3: I think, I, I suppose, really, if you look at it quite, quite logically, um, you know, that was probably Roman's biggest mistake at the club. I mean, you could talk about signings, whatever, but you know, fo- you know, sacking or you know, mutually leaving, however you want to put it, the the most successful manager at the club and the guy who really kind of revolutionised the entire club, you know, put the club on the map. So actually, you know, to to, for them to even start talking and reconsidering it, I think that the, probably the bridges w- were mended as such. Um, you know, he you know, Mourinho, whether he meant it, came out and expressed a desire that he would work with, you know, the current structure. Um, you know, we've got a director of football who seems to uh, kind of invoke quite a lot of ire from, from quite a few fans. Um, but I mean, he, there was, you know, no detention with him and Frank Arneson um, when they were at the club. But I think that, you know, a lot of relationships have mended and, and I suppose ultimately... I think Roman probably realises that, you know, we've lost, you know, we've gone through, you know, three billion managers since he was last here. Um, you know, if he's available, he's still one of the best coaches on the planet. Um, you know, why not, why not bring him back? And, you know, the, the fact is here, I think a lot of it has been probably brushed under the carpet as such, but from a fan's perspective, you know, a, a lot of it was just, I think two, maybe three, three or four personalities clashing at the club. Mourinho, uh, Mourinho, bore the Bordeaux, Arneson left shortly afterwards. Um, you know, a few of them, few of them kept around, but I think it's uh, probably a lot of changes since then. I think you probably can tell from Mourinho's own uh, press conferences and, and the way he's handling the media and, and talking about the team. He's probably a lot more mature than when he first came. He's very brash, and, that, and he seems to be a lot more wiser with how he's dealing with things. I think that's probably one of the reasons that he actually came back. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's been, it's been brushed under to an extent, but I think quite a lot's changed in that time. I think that's probably why that he, he did eventually come back in the summer.
1: Well, it's, uh, and it, it also throws up a, a delectable tie now in that, you know, the the, the protege gets to face his mentor in Androvius Boas, who, you know, yep. you you are familiar with, it, well, at least slightly familiar with, perhaps the, the man as he once was. Um, it's going to be going to be interesting. I think there's, to be honest with you, I don't know the full history of what's gone on there. People seem to make out like there's bad blood between them, but. I don't know if you can shed any light on that. I, I... Yeah, the,
3: um, when he when he went to Inter, um, obviously Boas, when he was at Chelsea, before he was Vias, boas um, was his kind of technical opposition analyst. So he would spend, you've quite probably seen the famous scouting report he did on Newcastle. It's about sort of 12 pages of, of kind of just destroying each of their players, their weaknesses and how to best attack them. Um, he wanted to take him through Inter Milan, I believe. And I think Boas then had a a job off. I don't know if it was from Porto, it was another club. Um, And he, you know, he left to become a manager. I think that that never really sat well with Mourinho. I mean, you know, you you know what Mourinho's like. He likes his team quite close to knit. You know, he's kept the same coaching staff probably since his time at Porto, largely. You know, Rui Faria has been fitness coach with him for 10 years or whatever. But I think losing losing Boas at that time, I don't think that, that sat particularly well. And I don't think he felt he was ready, obviously. That was proven uh, incorrect, you know, with what he achieved at Porto. But a lot of that stems from from that kind of transition to into Milan, and uh, when Boas sort of uh, kind of you know left the nest as such.
1: Just seems bizarre that uh, it, it you know people talk about it like there's some massive kind of feud between the two of them when. Ultimately it's just they've both managed Chelsea, they're both Portuguese, really, isn't it? You know, there might be some yeah, stuff off. it's
3: it's the Premier League as a whole, isn't it? I mean, you know, something has to be made about every single game every week, you know, regardless if it's Palace Hole or, you know, a big game like right? Chelsea Tottenham, they need some sort of, you know, narrative to run during the week to, to drum up interest. Um I think, you know, on on the Mourinho coaching thing, I mean you look at you look at managers in the Premier League now, you know, he's at one stage, you know, he's had Steve Clark work for him, he's had Brendan Rodgers, you know, Vias Boas you must be doing something right in terms of, you know, mentoring these guys. I just think it's, you know, it's, there's going to be quite a lot of this sort of narrative throughout the year, you know, do they still like him, does he still like them type of thing. So I don't think it's going to be unique to uh, to ABB as such.
1: I think th- this is one of the main things told me about Jose Mourinho in in that I will sometimes see him in press conferences, like after the Willian one, um, we'll talk about that more later, but <laughs> uh, when I just see him, I see his big smug face and I think, oh, fucking hate him and then I always have to take a step back and think you know he's just he's he's playing it for the cameras half the time you know he knows what he's yeah. doing he's a very clever bloke he knows that you know he can if maybe Chelsea haven't played that well he can deflect a lot of the attention away from that onto himself um, yeah and I mean as much as people say oh he's this really dislikable character he's an egotist he's this he's that you can see every single club he goes to he forms very strong relationships with all the people around him so it is hard to believe that he is this complete you know wanker that everyone seems to want to paint him out to be
3: Um yeah, I agree with that
1: with regard to AVB um, I mean coming from a Chelsea standpoint I mean I know we know all about his history of Chelsea and you know what he's done wrong yeah. and what people feel certain personalities at Chelsea may have you know what part they may have played in it but yeah that kind of stuff aside as much as you can put it uh, uh, have you been impressed at all with how he's handled things at Spurs, or how he's maybe changed, or I mean, what's your view think, on him?
3: Um, I mean, when when he first came to the club, I think I probably speak for quite a few fans. I mean, I was absolutely desperate for him to succeed at the club. You know, he was the kind of young, up and coming manager. You know, everyone's looking at like people like bob and Conte and, and these types of guys, and I think Boas was that kind of superstar, potential superstar manager. Um, you know, he was going to sort of revolutionise the way we played. You know, looking at that auto side that he had, I mean, they were one of the best attacking teams in Europe, just destroyed teams on the counter-attack, really good 4-3-3. Um, you know, I think that looking at him as a manager coming to the club, I mean, I was so excited to see what he could potentially do. I and, mean, you know, probably I could speak for ages on on stuff that's actually happened at his time, here. but in terms of his development it's quite sad in a way and perhaps slightly annoying that he seems to have come to Chelsea, made kind of all the mistakes that he he would make, um, you know, that he would potentially make an entire career in a short space of time. And he seems to have ironed them all out completely at Spurs. Um, You know, you probably know yourself, Twitter, the old social media game, you kind of network some very, I suppose, not necessarily influential people, but people who work in sports PR and stuff like that. And, you know, a couple of people I talk to look after a few of the Spurs players and, um, you know, the way they talk about him, the way that they, that they describe him, you know, it's, it's almost uh, an entirely different character's time at Chelsea, you know, that you can tell that they absolutely love playing for him. Um, and I think he's really, he's kind of realised that in the, the, you know, the Premier League, it's not so much about the tactical side of things, although that does play a huge part. It's very much man management based and, and kind of managing the kind of for all of, of the Premier League as a whole and trying to balance on that, you know, with, with developing a team. I also think he's probably a little bit more relaxed now. You know, he's come into Chelsea. He was very high profile, very high pressure job. He's made his mistakes. You know he's you know whatever's happened happened. But now at Spurs, I think particularly last season um, was was kind of uh, was was impressive. Um, I still don't think he's the best tactically. Um, I think that he you know he, he's not the best at changing games. I think sometimes the way he sets the team up um, is not necessary you know, kind of playing to Spurs' strength as such. But I think that that will improve. But, uh, you know, I do, I, do rate him. I do rate him as a manager. I think he's got a lot of good ideas. But I think, you know, the, the worst thing, like I said, you know, kind of at the beginning is that he seems to have learned from all his mistakes at Chelsea and he, he's made the at Chelsea and he seems to have uh, improved, you know, three, four times at Spurs, particularly this season. Um, you know, defensively was always one of the big criticisms of him at Chelsea that, you know, we didn't have anyone in the back line with pace who could play at centre-back and yet he insisted to sit on playing, you know, the sort of high block, um, kind of high line type defence. Um, Spurs he seems to have kind of you know altered that, so he's got sort of a Tongan and and, and you know players in the back line with pace who, who can actually play in that system, I think. But he's actually more adjusting to the players he's got this time instead of trying to enforce a system on them. Um, but I, you know I, th- I think you'll do very well this season. Um, you know he 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 probably has more options now, although obviously Bale is left. I think there are technically more options in terms of different styles of player that you have and can bring on and influence the game. Well, I think that would probably help him really in the long run. But yeah. Been, been very impressed this season. I know you're kind of like us in that goals, particularly I watched the game against Cardiff. You must have had about 15 to 20 shots on target, which was just insane that it took so long to score. But, um, you know, I don't think your downfall will really be managerially or, or tactical. I think it's probably going to be the, the fact that although Soldado, I think is a very good striker. Um, he might take a bit longer to adapt to the Premier League and, and the style that Spurs are trying to to, trying to put into the side. Um, you know, he might take a, t- a while to adapt and, and the goals don't necessarily come so much. But, you know, that's that's just sort of my opinion on it at the moment. But, yeah, no, definitely learn from his mistakes. And I think, again, yeah, this season he should be he should be pretty decent.
1: I mean, it's much like you said, I think when you first signed him, I can remember thinking from the other side, like, ah, oh, bollocks, you know, Chelsea have signed a, you know, a really great, like the new kind of wenger type figure, maybe someone that's going to come in and completely revolutionise the club, not so much revolutionise the club, but definitely kind of take you forward to a new kind of long, strong era um, and dominate for, you know, probably much more so than you you have thus far. Um, I know obviously people like Man City coming along have, have, you know, hasn't really helped that. And the fact that Man United have just refused to, Die, <laughs> yeah. Whether or not that happens now that Fergie's gone, we shall have to wait yeah. and see. But uh, it it was quite surprising when you let him go. I mean, it's uh, well not surprising in the way that it turned out, but just that the way it all seemed to come to this rather unpleasant head. Um, and I mean, I do think I don't know if you'd agree. There does seem to be a propensity amongst a lot of Chelsea fans just to completely blame Villas-Boas um, for. Everything that went wrong. Um, I mean, he was up against some fairly big characters
3: there. Who? Yeah, I think that that was probably you know the thing at Chelsea is that you know this has been our most successful period you know, ever in terms of the club's history, and a lot of those figures were still you know they weren't at their absolute peak, but you know judging by the run to Champions League Final, you could still get a performance out of them, and I don't mm. think he he really ever got them fully on board. Um, you know the likes of of Cech, Terry, Lampard, Drogba. I mean, you know, it was an old spine, but it was still a, a pretty decent spine. And I think he perhaps was was guilty of, of trying to alienate them. And, and whether it was dictated to him by you know people running the club, or whether it was you know his own doing, I think really that was kind of his, his major mistake was was trying to sort of do things too quickly. Um, you know, Lampard. You know, in terms of him playing at the moment, the the more he plays in that kind of deeper midfield role, the less, you know, in my opinion, he should be starting. He's just not influential there. And I think maybe, you know, AVB spotted that. But, you know, 12, you know, two years ago, 18 months ago, Lamps could still run, you know, put a shift in and run about the pitch and was still, you know, really without, in terms of the squad, without competition. And I think that was kind of the main person that he lost. Um, and I think it really deteriorated from there. There was loads, loads of bits and pieces that happened. I mean, he ate, you know, he forced Alex and Anelka to train with the reserve team. He kicked the youth team out of the, out of the main building. Um, you know, one of the, the strengths of the club, although it doesn't necessarily show in the amount of players that we bring through, but the, the kind of bond and the, the sort of day-to-day interaction between the first team and the academy is, is pretty spot on at Chelsea. Um, you know, they, they're encouraged to come and have lunch with the, the first team. All, all that kind of stuff happens, and a V B came in and sort of put a stop to that. And I don't think that was kind of the the best way to go about things. But, you know, I think he's obviously learned he's obviously learned a lot from that. I don't think, you know, with all due respect in terms of, of club icons and, and players of similar standing, it's probably easier to to go into the Tottenham dressing room than it is, you know, to look at, you know, we had Drupal, Lampard, Terry, Czech, you've got all these sorts of players, who you know, national team captains, been at the club, won everything at the club. It's probably easier to do that with, with the Spurs squad than it was with Chelsea. But, I, you know, saying that from what I've heard um, from people that have, have spoken to, you know, to Spurs players, he's, he's almost completely changed. So, you know, he seems to have learned from his mistakes there.
1: I was going to say, I think this is one thing that I, I really quite liked about him. I mean, I, I was happy when we did appoint him, I knew it was a gamble. Um, And I always kind of think that's why we brought Stefan Freund along as his number two. I mean, he appointed most of his backroom staff aside for his own number two, which the club actually appointed, which was Stefan Freund. And I think that to me was almost an admittance from Daniel Levy that he knew getting AVB would be a gamble. Um, We potentially had that fallback option in someone like Freund. But what I've always respected about AVB is that as much as the media have you know, when, when we first signed him um, it was it sounds a bit wet to say but it was it was just out and out, he was just bullied completely by the British press when we signed him, it was, you know, he had that, I can't remember who it was, one reporter that called him a sociopath and said you know, he was on the <laughs> spectrum that you, know, that, you know, Spurs have signed a failure, Portuguese flop, all this kind of stuff and the way in which he was hounded was it was it was ridiculous um, yeah. and i think that in a way probably helped the club and the fans to to get behind him and think like come oh, you know we we're giving this guy a chance let's get behind him and let's see what he can do and i think almost quite a few of us probably you know Maybe not hoped. Some of us probably hoped, but some of us probably expected him to come out and maybe take a few jibes at Chelsea and to say, "Oh, you know, they sat me too early," and doing the big talk and all this kind of thing. But he's always been fairly, you know, not fairly. He's always been very mag- magnanimous in the fact that he was more than happy to admit, you know, I came in, Chelsea gave me a chance, and I am I am at fault. I, I I made a lot of mistakes. Uh, at my time at Chelsea and he never shied away from that. And I think as soon as he came out and just hit that head on and said that, you know, he, he, ex- he accepted responsibility for things that went wrong. The press didn't really have anywhere to go after that, you know, because the results were coming through Spurs were playing well. The, you know, the fans seemed to be behind him. The players were happy and he was you know just coming out and saying that, you know, that he made mistakes and he was looking to change. And I think, you know, they even tried to create this, some kind of bad blood between him and Redknapp. Um, because yeah, you know, obviously I, he replaced Redknapp. And it. it just seemed, it just seemed completely bizarre. Um, <clears throat> and I guess part of the problem was that he, he did come across as very arrogant to the press previously as well. And that seems to be something that he's, he's changed as well in a respect that he maybe didn't respect the press as much as he should have as a new manager in a new country. Um, but I mean, what would you, in terms of tactically, Raj? Because you're a lot, you're a lot better at me than this, the proper talk than I am. Um, would you say you've seen him evolve just in
2: his time as Spurs manager? Um, if I may backpedal just two minutes to to when we were explaining his time at Chelsea, I, I find it quite remarkable and almost inevitable that. The fact that the chairman wasn't brought up once. How um, you can bring a uh, talk about a sacked manager when Roman Abramovich is running your club in the way he does? I mean, I don't need to, to launch into a Matthew Sayed type rant about <laughs> the reasons in which he bought the club and the, the slight moral obligations of why he's there. Um, I think that's that, that's well that's well documented. Um, I don't think um, in terms of one thing my mum has always said to me is that relationships are a two way street it's not one person's job to make it work. Andre Villas-Boas was a young manager, um and Chelsea backed him 100% when they had they hired him and they let him they obviously wanted him to do the job. However, once he was in the job, there didn't seem to be any sort of dialogue between him and the chairman. From the outside looking in, obviously I'm not a Chelsea fan and thank the lord I'm not, but um the, the, the chairman seems to be one of the least appropriate men that you'd want to work under in any sort of environment possible, um, turning up to training ground. I think Mourinho came back. I think it's only because now he's he seems to be able to, to work under him again. Um, he's not somebody that I'd, I'd personally want to work under. So I think in terms of having himself capped, he's almost chopped off at the knees by what he was allowed to do from Abramovich and the fact that you touch upon the egos in the changing rooms. Player power must have gone into it somewhat. How can you, how can you essentially be a manager of people who don't want to be managed by you? I think the reason that they did so well under managers such as Di Matteo is the fact that they were they were allowed to, to rule themselves under a wet blanket, and as soon as Di Matteo tried to try and, try and stamp any sort of his own authority in, he he went the same way as the other managers did. Um, moving on to him at Tottenham. We we have those sort of egos. You made the point about having international captains. We have a fair few of them. We have players that have come from other clubs and have been captains there. We're not shy of leaders. We're not shy of vocal people. However, I feel ours is a much more accommodating club. Um, Daniel Levy might not be the easiest person to work under, but he managed the situation a shitload better than Abramovich did by... If he wanted to hedge his bets, he did it by allowing him to bring in his own backroom staff, but he put in a person next to him in Stefan Freund, who has done his coaching badges, who has worked with youth setups and is perfectly able as himself, similar to what he did with Jacques Santini and Martin Yole, to say, if this doesn't go well, in fact, if this goes disastrously, we've got a number two there who can then step up and we've got a contingency plan in place. However, obviously it's gone it's gone fantastically to plan thus far. Um Tactically speaking, Chelsea, um, his defence was obviously his his weak point. They were conceding a lot of goals from the high line. I think that's more to do with the fact that John Terry isn't the player he once was. Um, He tried not to play him several times. That didn't seem to work. Um, The press got on his back. Uh, Playing Terry in a high line doesn't seem to work because he's just not quick enough anymore. I think the one memorable image I've got of him is at Stamford Bridge when he almost... Fell over himself in order to not have to chase Robin van Persie back in a game where Arsenal spanked spanked him there, and that's my one memory of John Terry's ability to play a high line. Um, but uh, we've obviously seems to have adapted that. Um, I agree that he obviously made mistakes at Chelsea. I'm not saying he's completely unfallible there at all. Um, I mean the fact that we've managed to get him from Chelsea where he seems to have got that out of his system somewhat. It's um, brilliant because we've got a fantastic manager now. Um, and I think he, you touch on the fact that we don't have Gareth Bale anymore. I think the reason, and I've said this before, that, that Gareth Bale has gone for as much money as he has is because he had a manager that helped him become the player he he, he was last season. He, he accommodated him and he shaped him in such a way that people want to pay a record amounts of some money for him. So I'm, I'm delighted in that fact. So I think the point I'm trying to make is, at Chelsea, it wasn't entirely his fault. I think he, he was put in a situation that I don't think many people would would envy him of. Um, and I think at Tottenham, it's a much more accommodating place. It's a much more managed situation is what he comes in. It's a much more, it's <laughs> strange to say, it's, it's, it's probably a much more stable club to come into. It's obviously not as high a profile as Chelsea, purely because we weren't spending the money that, that Chelsea were at the time. We not. We don't have the, the expectation of outside. Um, Jack was right when he said that the media treated him absolutely horribly when he first joined the club. I mean, he's young, he's foreign, he's good-looking. Everything that the English media don't like about someone is borderline xenophobic the way he was taught uh, when he when he first um, joined Tottenham. It was it was quite horrible to see and it was something that our fans unfortunately bought into for a little while and wanted Harry Redknapp back, which was <coughs> it was a sick inducing for people like me, but um, I'm I'm very happy with where we are now, and I can only thank Chelsea for hiring him and firing him and allowing him to come and join us. Mincing your words, Mirage being nice and.
3: Just, uh, I mean, a, a few points in in terms of that. I mean, in terms of the comment about influence. I mean, there's a reason that you fall away. What two seasons in a row? I mean, I'm not talking about having you know international captains is a is a sign of I'm you know personalities and characters in your team when the game gets tough. I mean, you know, you can't deny that, that you you flop at the end of the season. I think, you know, in terms of coming into into a team, it's I don't think it's a particularly inflammatory comment to say that, you know, probably from 2008, since uh, when Avon Grant took over, I mean, the players can, can self-manage themselves, whether that's a particularly good or bad thing, you can judge by the trophy count. But, you know, I'm, I'm not talking necessarily about having special caps in and attracting that calibre of player. I just don't think you've really had anyone in that team that's been a true leader, probably, you know, minus King, um, for, for quite a number of years. I think you see that quite regularly. I, I'm not going to say that this season, but, you know, the, definitely the past two seasons. I was, you know, I, I would definitely suggest that that's been the case. And, and you know, the, the point is about a uh, Roman. I don't know any other owner in the country who goes to, you know, under 18 games, under 21 games. You know, you can you can talk about all the the kind of negative stuff as much as you like. I mean, you know, we've won probably on average a trophy every season. He's been there, uh, um, you know, for Chelsea fans. Munich and, and Amsterdam will probably be two of the great nights nice anyone will ever have in two of the greatest cities so you know that you know his, his hiring and firing policy personally um, I would have liked to have seen him back AVB more um, you know that was, that was I was quite vocal and quite outspoken about that at the time um, about wanting to back him um, but you know the proof's in the pudding we went on to win the Champions League um, albeit, you know, playing a, a ridiculous, uh, kind of fairy tale type run to the final where we probably should have be been knocked out in every single stage. Um, you know, Terry, going back to the highline tactics, I mean, Terry's never had pace. Um, I've never, 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 you know, seen Terry completely skinned, you know, the Van Percy example is, is, is is rare you know it's for someone who's not had had you know pace he was voted into the, the world players player of the year team you know four or five years in a row last uh, last defender before his uh his transgressions which i will not get into um you know last defender to win the players player of the year award you know it's it's not necessarily all about all about pace for me it was about the it was the the lack of willingness to adapt to what he had um available to him and probably and probably the thing that that um comes from that Arsenal point as well is that after that game, that was when uh, I think we, we had quite a, a quite important game against Veneta Valencia in the Champions League the week after and we had to win it. And the thing that really, I suppose, went against him was that he completely ditched his philosophy. You know, he'd almost given up at that point. You know, the, the Arsenal game was what 5-2, five, 5-3 five five to them. You know, the following next week, we're playing literally on the edge of our own area, banging it up to Drogba, going completely against everything that he's trying to put into the club. I don't think that really, as well, you know, went in, went in his favor that he was so willing to ditch uh, a philosophy. Um, that maybe if he'd have, you know, tried to persist with that, the club, club might have seen that there was a direction there. You know, it's, it's highly unlikely. Um, but, uh, you know, ultimately, Roman, in terms of his, his sackings and whatnot is, is, is rarely, rarely gets that many wrong. Um, and I think you know the, the proof really is in, is in the trophy count. I'd like to think that that will change now. I'd like to think that you know Mourinho is going to be here for three, four seasons. But uh, you know, the, if we're looking at uh, AVB specifically, you know, there, there was there was there was far too much really that, that he shouldn't have been you know that he should have been doing at the time. And ultimately, you know, the the, the end result of that season showed you that he was probably wrong to, to marginalise the players that he was marginalising because they got us to to win a European Cup. Um, I mean, you know, you live and die by the sword and and unfortunately Di Matteo's uh, success really kind of put the uh the nail in the A in the A B coffin for for Chelsea fans.
1: I'm I'm quite interested to know actually, Joe. I mean I don't wanna, you know, take it into a whole you ain't got no history type yep. direction. But try you know, it's something that's been spoken about of between Spurs fans quite a lot. You know, if we had a billionaire, Man City, Chelsea, come in and buy us success, as it were, yep. would we like it or wouldn't we? I mean, is, is
3: there, is if there I, a... If, p- I just, if I turn the question around on you, just yeah. and you both obviously go to games, you know, in terms of actual match-going fans, you know, personally myself and I would imagine you too as well, it's it's as much about the day, you know, the, the day out, being with your family, your friends, going to football, as much as it is about, you know, the result, performance and stuff like that. I mean, I don't want to talk about double pivots and, you know, high-block, medium-block when I'm in anywhere near a field, Yeah, yeah, of course. With my mates. And, um, you know, with that in mind, you know, I mean, we went to Munich, you know, one of the greatest cities in Europe, on the beers all day, saw us win the most amazing, ridiculous, you know, game of football. You don't Something need to like You to don't tell to 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 us that, mate. Like- <laughs> Penalties, you know, the lot. And then the following year, although it's perhaps, you know, a step down, but then to have a repeat in Amsterdam, which I'm pretty sure no one really needs selling on Amsterdam, Exactly the same thing again, on the beers in Amsterdam, see your team get absolutely battered in the final and then win a, win another trophy. I think that, you know, I I tend to look at it really, you know, in terms of nostalgia and and the days out and the, the memories that I've had since Roman's been here of have just, you know, they they outweigh all that, you know, you bought you bought success. I mean, I'm personally, and I don't know any Chelsea fan really, unless they're, you know, someone who bites quite easily, are you know, really that bothered by it. Um you know, we had a we had a little bit of uh, a go kind of in the late nineties, pre-Roman, where we maybe potentially might have uh, might have won a league title in ninety nine. But uh, you know, since then, I mean, it's it's just been it's been phenomenal. And anyone who says otherwise, really, you know, about the, the buying success thing, is in my opinion just lying because you know what's better than rubbing it in your mates? I'm sure you've got Chelsea mates and, and Arsenal mates. What's rubbing it in their face, particularly with Arsenal? You know, they're the kind of dominant London club. Baron's spell for eight years. Hopefully, I've got a bet on them for not winning a trophy for ten years. But we'll uh, we'll see how that pans out. But you know, it's it's about it's about days out. It's about enjoying enjoying football in moments and and you know doing it while you're young. And, and for that, I mean, I can't I can't remotely even begin to think of anything other than having Roman at the club. I mean, there's.
1: But it, I, I I completely see what you're saying. I completely understand it. And, you know, as much as I say, oh, I wouldn't like if it was happening at Spurs, it, I, you know, it'd probably be hard not to go along with it and get swept up in euphoria. Because what's the option? You know, you either, you go along with it or you start FC Hotspur and start <laughs> in the Sunday leagues playing against partisan Toilet Duck or whatever, you know, so it's, what, what do you really do?
2: But it, it's if just been, if I was being entirely honest, and, and looking at it, how I would treat the situation if we were, if we were to swap positions with Chelsea, which apparently as folklore tells it, the first club that Abramovich tried to buy was was ourselves. And there's apparently a phone call to Daniel Levy where Abramovich had rung up to ask how much the club cost, and Levy just uh, thought it was a prank and putting it down. And while he was flying over yeah. London, he, he preferred the look of Stamford Bridge rather than than Spurs. But in my heart of hearts, I would. I would celebrate us winning the Champions League. I'd cheer. I'd hug my dad. I'd, I'd do the rest. I'd have the beers with my mates. But then, I'd go home at the end of the day and I'd look at myself in the mirror. <laughs> I'd I'd come into my room and I'd look at the photo of Steve Perryman holding the FA Cup above my TV. And I I I'd, I'd not think we'd won it the right way. It would it would not sit right in my heart. There's a I I don't think you can you can't remove moral from. Sport, you can't re- remove moral from anything. As far as I, but then, but then you, you wouldn't, you
3: wouldn't enjoy any aspect of the game. I mean, I could go, you go for the entire England
2: team; they're all scumbags. I go for the majority of Chelsea players; they're all scumbags. If you was really for the ninety, for the ninety minutes, I would enjoy it. But while I'm alone and while I have the time to reflect, I wouldn't be able to enjoy it. However, if the current Tottenham team were to win the league, I wouldn't have any any problem whatsoever. Um, it's quite spending a hundred million pound or whatever it is. We came out two million pounds in profit. They're, as far as our finances are concerned, we're one of the best-run teams in Europe. I've got no concern you're with sound, us there. You're sounding,
3: you're sounding dangerously like an Arsenal fan now, Raj.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you can't say that to Joe. I, I have to draw the line there, mate. Sorry, sorry. Me, sorry. I know. Hopefully there's no
2: spreadsheet.
3: Uh, spreadsheet we're, not,
2: we're, we're not a team on a downward trajectory such as Arsenal. As far as I'm concerned, as a Tottenham fan, we're on the highest trajectory. We've got the, the best team... Our, our club has ever had in my lifetime. No, I, um, I definitely think that the the best um prospects, the best future planning in terms of stadiums and, and training facilities. Uh, as far as we're comparing to Arsenal, we we couldn't be any further away as far as I'm concerned. But I'd, I'd obviously say so that. Talking about sort of moral enjoyment, I mean, just going you touched
3: on the stadium there. I mean, how, how much taxpayer money is going into that?
2: Was. As much as needs be with a, an area like Tottenham, which is a, a run-down but, but why, area. Why should I pay for your stadium? You're not. You're paying for transport services. Exactly. You're putting people <laughs> sorry, I'm, in Sorry, I'm, I'm just making a, I'm making a facetious point there. Sorry. No, it's, it's, a, well, it's, it's a good point, but it's a place in poverty. What's the welfare state for if you're not going to put people in jobs? We, we're digressing. No, 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 no. no, I completely agree, to be honest. It was
3: just a, It was a tongue-in-cheek comment. Well, I mean, well, that, it's, that escalated I mean, quickly. You know, until until you experience, you know, the, the the way that things have panned out for Chelsea. And a lot of teams will say to me, you know, I always hear this all the time, you know, things have to be done the right way. It's either, you know, a couple of years ago, it was you had to play football like Barcelona. If you didn't, then you were, you know, anti-football. You have to run a club like Arsenal or, you know, you have to, it has to be in profit every season, blah, blah, blah. But... I mean, I, I bring it back to the same thing, you know. Football without emotion is just pointless. You know, it's just us I go and watch cricket. I'm not a massive cricket fan, but um, you know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't swap any any of these experiences I've had over the past, you know, six seven years on on any kind of moral principle. So, because I mean, at the, at the end of the day, I'm not going to go talk to my children and grandchildren about us making a two million pound profit and coming fifth in the league.
1: Interesting. That's just that's just my opinion.
3: I suppose so. But then, would you?
1: I mean, if we to take right, take it away from Chelsea, because obviously it's 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 your club. It's you know, it's close yeah. to your heart. It, it invokes kind of passion. Things like, would you not then say, right? Look at a club like Man City, a club who are really famous for the fact that they're Man United's rivals. Man United the, arguably, I mean people talk about Real Madrid, Man United possibly the biggest football team on the face of the planet Yeah, maybe the books don't say that but still, at least in England, by far the biggest team England have ever seen. Yeah. Sorry to any Liverpool fans um, and, shit. Don't ever no. um, <laughs> I mean but then you see a club like Man City winning the league and signing these ridiculously talented footballers and to me, Man City, like in my lifetime, it, I would honestly equate Man City being where they are now to just the same as someone like Fulham or Stoke or any one of these other kind of fodder league teams being at the top of the table. I mean, I, I'm not saying that about Chelsea. I mean, I'm, I'm genuinely like, you know, in the 90s before Abramovich came along, you were a team, you were up there challenging, you are in the Champions League, you were, you know, you enjoyed the Premier League um era much more than spurs have um that's for sure so it is harder to compare you with man city but still i mean you know you must see at the same time there are a lot of people that would look at a club like man city and think why are they up there why are people even talking about man city being a league you know contender I mean,
3: look at it in the sort of the context of the premier league as a whole i mean i've ever you know only the past whatever 10 years you know, for the, the previous time that I've ever watched football, it's, it's all pretty much in Premier League, and it's always been Arsenal and uh, Man United. And you know, the, the money that the influx of money that's happened sort of post Abramovich, in terms of you know various clubs. I mean, you know, the quality of the Premier League might not be what it was, you know, two thousand four to two thousand eight, in terms of the strength of the teams. But I mean, you're looking now. I mean, you can win the league. Arsenal potentially can win the league. We can win the league. City can win the league. United might be able to win the league. Liverpool probably won't win the league. You know, they're 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 kind of, they're getting... Hopefully won't. Yeah, if they win the league, I'll probably top myself. But, um, you know, it's the the money that's coming to City. I mean, it's just made, it's made everything so much more competitive and they're not, you know, despite how good their score is, they're not going to run away with the league. You know, for me, you know, having four to six teams in the Premier League that can win, you know, feasibly win the title, you know, that'll probably narrow down to maybe three or four come January, February time. But, I would much rather there be that level of competition. You know, and I don't begrudge them. You know, begrudge them one bit that they've come in with, you know, three times the amount of money that Roman's got or you know whatever. I, I think it's been fantastic, really, for the league to have that level of level of competition. You know, I looked to Spain. You know, watch a fair bit of La Liga, and and you know, although Barcelona were finally outpassed or outpossessed or whatever you want to call it for the first. time in about 70 seasons. Um you know the other night they still won comfortably 4-0 and, and watching that you know every single week two teams don't, you know dominate financially I, I don't think it would be that that enjoyable and, and regardless of how people go about getting the money I think cities you know cities kind of i suppose you know the fact that they've actually just appeared from nowhere I think it's been it's been great for the league really regardless of you know how how big they were previously you know where they were 2 you know 10 seasons ago whatever you can't really knock the the competitive of the league, and I think it's probably largely why it's the Premier League still, despite the you know the quality and, and whatever anyone wants to say on a really tactical level, it's still the most watched league in the world and probably still you know the most exciting to watch. I mean, and it's probably it's probably really on that basis. Yeah, and I mean, to be
1: honest, there's I think mean, it's going to be decision time for Spurs fans soon. I mean, what of a new stadium on the go, the way in which the club's been operated, you know, a lot of people say we're a club that's been essentially farmed to be sold on to you know one of these. You, big kind of billionaire type I mean there's been talks about people like AEG or AIG I can't remember either one
2: um that's 100% what's going to happen to us um the way I've always tried to to explain the situation at Tottenham is when we got bought by Enoch what we were was essentially a a run-down little house and what property developers do is they, they see a house they see potential in it they try and put in as much financially viable money into it in order to make a profit out of it in the end so what they've done is they've made us a a competitive team they've built us a new training center Uh, they're going to build us a new stadium and then the amount of money that they've put in throughout that is, is going to be substantially multiplied when they come to sell it on to somebody else they don't care who they sell it to but that's Daniel Levy's life work taking Tottenham Hotspur as a, as a business and an entity, um, putting in as least money as possible business-wise, which is why we don't really spend as much money as we could do unless we get £85 million from player, sure. which is why things like making £2 million profit is is something that is a concern to a club such as ourselves, um, which is why we had a, a, a such a stringent... Um, uh, wage bill for so many years and, and still do um, is because what they're going to do is they're, they're going to sell it in, uh, at some point and they're going to sell it for a shitload of money um, and when that time comes it's going to be entirely dependent on who comes in and the way in which they treat the club from there on in uh, which is going to be how much enjoyment I can take out of it because I, I think it's fairly evident now I'm somebody who can't I can't bring myself to, to separate um, emotion in terms of enjoyment and things from the moral aspects of it. It's just the person I am. I'm, I, I, I've admitted an that and it seems idealist and it's entirely something that falls with, in line of Tottenham Hotspur as a whole. We're, we're an idealist club. We're, we're a club that, that almost, we're a set of dreamers. That's why every season we get so excited when something's going to happen and by the end of it we're so deflated because we've not quite reached the, the the place that we wanted to go. I mean, I don't need to regurgitate the Bill Nicholson quote to, to typify what this club is all about, but I think that's that's what it's all about. And I, I personally just wouldn't be able to take out the level of enjoyment I get now from a one-nil away win in Cardiff because we've managed to to nick it at the end and not given up. Wouldn't feel the same if it was some thirty million pound mercenary who who couldn't care less who he was playing for as long as he got three hundred grand a week. Did it? It just wouldn't feel the same for me. Yeah, I I, mean, I, I no know one. what
1: you're saying there. I do have to interject there. Like I I don't know if that's as relevant. Yeah, you, you, we are still making big signings, and so to say that just because a player costs X amount and gets paid X amount, they don't they give less of a shit than a player that we spend a bit less on. Like it, you know, I think a lot could be said about a lot of big signings that we've made in the past, and you know, who don't really give that much. God, I'm siding with Chelsea. What am I doing? What's going on? What's happened to it's me?
3: A, it's it's the rational approach that I have. You see, I suck you all in, and then seeing you're just become this stand for Puchimibu game me, we're for a few beers. Never, Joe. I'm, sorry.
1: I'm I'm trying to keep this together as as the anchor. You see, I'm trying to keep this. But <laughs> Chelsea, I, I I have thoughts. I have thoughts about Chelsea, Joe. A lot of the time, I've grown up in the Chelsea area. You see, it's it's it, never mind. I'm not going to go there. I can't. I can't no, unleash no. the beast. I've got to keep it all. up. I know what you're saying, though, Raj. I know what everyone's saying. It's yeah, it's an emotional. Oh, Jack, topic. go for
2: it. We'll, we'll swap. We'll swap roles. I'll. I'll. Um. I'll, <laughs> I'll
1: referee for a bit, and you. You can uh, take the gloves off. Uh, maybe. Well, well, there's a bit of time to go yet, isn't there? So we'll. Uh, Defoe. <laughs> Defoe's just scored, by the way. So that's. that's I good. know. I've seen. I've seen. Yeah. Seen. You're two 0 up as well, Joe. If you didn't know. Um,
3: yeah, I saw that. I saw Torres scored and, and thought it was a typo, but apparently yeah. it's not.
1: So. <laughs> um. Well, if we're to go, let's go to some questions. I mean, we. I think we've. Uh, we've run over a bit there it's good though i enjoyed it i've I've liked listening to that i liked uh hearing you two
2: with your handbags you know <laughs> at one another um I, I i hate to be the uh the token northern lefty over here with his his moral principles and everything but it's just the way i i, I look at things unfortunately it's um all right jog on jog on Scargill, you kind of
1: you know um <laughs> We've we've had Brian, who is at nineteen kois sixty one, um, say Joe. Is he nineteen or sixty one? Well, who knows? Well, maybe we can ask him afterwards. But he says
3: Joe something 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 Lukaku. I think that's probably from a Chelsea perspective. About fifteen swear words and then Lukaku. Um, <laughs> probably probably one of the most baffling decisions I think we've probably made. In quite some time, um, you know, there's you know, people who like stats. I think we're we're creating the most chances per game or something stupid we have over the course of the season. I don't think we scored anywhere near the amount of goals of a size. I've probably told you exactly kind of where the main weaknesses in terms of the actual side lie. Um, you know, people can go on about it just being preseason, which I'm pretty sure Spurs fans are probably saying exactly the same thing about somebody who does well. But Lukaku, I think, outscored you know. Every striker in the team, I think he might have got five or six goals. I think Torres got one. I don't think Demba Bar scored. Um, and I just, I'm just just still completely baffled. You know, he comes on against Everton. You think as well with Mourinho, he likes that big physical centre forward. You know, he's had it in every team that, that's ever done well for him. And Lukaku would seem the perfect Mourinho prototype as such. You know, he's, he's younger than Drogba. He's probably better than Drogba was at the same age. And you would have thought that Marino would have really worked on this, you know, this season. But, you know, silver lining, I think Martinez is a fantastic coach, really fantastic technical coach. And that's probably where Lukaku probably needs the most work in terms of his game. You know, he's very good at sort of spinning in behind and just sort of smashing people about. But he lacks, I think, a bit of the kind of intricate build-up play that I think, you know, Drogba had um, and, and maybe, you know, people like Ibrahimovic that's played for for Mourinho before, but you know, from a pure goal scoring perspective, we've just sent out basically our best striker um, on loan to Everton for the season, so you know, completely baffling for me and probably every other Chelsea fan, to be perfectly honest.
1: Do you think the uh, I know Mourinho is obviously not as ridiculous and knee jerk as this, but do you think the penalty miss had anything to do with it at all? Do you think it kind of showed maybe he's not ready, maybe his head's not in the right place, or I do you think it's she- just bad, bad. Unlucky coincidence.
3: I think with, with a lot of the these, you know, Belgian players, I think they're kind of sensing that this World Cup is a really huge opportunity for them. And they're probably one of the few countries, you've probably seen it with Dembele and and um, Godforsongan, that they really do genuinely care about playing for the country. And I think you can kind of, you kind of get that when they play for the club as well. And I think that Lukaku, you know, in terms of him challenging Ben Teke for that sort of starting striker role, he would need to play every week. And I think he probably thought to himself he's not going to get every week here mainly because we've got the kind of uh, fifty million pound elephant in the room that we can't seem to shift. But you know, he's he's looked at that and probably said, you know, if I'm not going to be playing regularly, then then I want to I want to go and play for somewhere that, that I am. Um, you know, he's he's been quite vocal and that he wants to come back and, and challenge to be our, our number one striker. But, you know, for me it has to be you know, it has to be done on, on fair terms and I don't think that's really gonna happen while we've got Torres at the club, unfortunately. You know, as much as I still have some ridiculous sense of hope that he might eventually click and start scoring goals, you know, he's he's a spent force and, you know, he's got two and a half years left on his contract. He's on about 170k a week, which is just astonishing how badly that's all worked out. But, uh, you know, until... Until Lukaku gets a, a proper shot, um, you know, in the first team and get, gets a string of games together, I think you know he's he's just going to be this kind of you know eternal loner that we seem to have at the club. I think we've got another twenty odd on loan at the moment as usual, but um, yeah, he seems to have just been a, a victim of uh, circumstance really.
1: I mean, you can conceivably see um, Torres actually going back to Spain and starting to tear it up again. It, it seems to be a psychological thing more than his actual ability. It Just seems that every time he gets in front of the goal, he just bottles it.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's so, so strange. I think he's also been quite unlucky, you know, to, I'm not, I'm not his biggest fan. But, um, you know, personally, I think if you're on that sort of run and you've, you've cost, you know, you know, kind of a, a record feat for the club, the least, you know, you want from someone is to actually look like they give a shit, um, and, you know, run about us, you know, run about as basic as that is in terms of football. But sometimes you, you know, he kind of does the, the sort of the sulk about the pitch and the kind of, you know, the not really too bothered movement. And, um, I mean, it happens too frequently, really, and I think that's really the disappointing thing. When you look at someone like Lukaku, who really genuinely wants to play for the club and you know will probably run himself into the ground for ninety minutes, you know, if he's playing completely terribly. But I think with Torres, you just don't really get that. And the, the reality is, you know, he's not going to earn one hundred and eighty grand a week in Spain. And you know, in a in a weird sense, I was saying this to some of the guys who, who do a Chelsea a Chelsea podcast that he's you know he's sort of like a really good version of Winston Bogart in that he's just pretty much <laughs> hanging around now. For the uh, for the wages, you know, he's got two and a half years left on one hundred, hundred seventy, hundred eighty k a week. He'd be an idiot to go, you know, back to Spain and what go to 60 k for whatever. But you know, it, it feels a little bit like that. You know, some sometimes you see him, he plays really well, and then he has four or five games where he looks like he's never played football in his life. It's just it's just really just confusing to watch him. Um, you know, he, he's had he's had plenty of support from the crowd. Um, you know, he's one of the players that. Really, you know, if you were doing kind of a a ratio of ability to crowd support, his would just be insane in his favor. But because this is it,
1: I've I've seen quite a few Spurs fans say, Oh, I'd have him at Spurs. You could have him.
3: I I genuinely, (laughs) I'd swap him for default. Genuinely,
1: (laughs) are you sure about that?
3: Um, I know, yeah, yeah. I mean, the thing is, you know, just putting his perspective, the. Last season in particular, the reason we, we were kind of teetering on the sort of fourth place challenge and such was mainly due to the fact that Torres was missing so many clear-cut chances. You know, the, uh, Eden Hazard hasn't started this season particularly well, but I mean, there was a point last season where he was just absolutely on fire. And I'm not sure who we were playing, but it was a game that I think we drew to all. Actually, it might have been might have been Reading away when we were 2-0 up and we drew the game to all. And I, I remember the second half just thinking... You know, any striker that we've had maybe, you know, Drogba, Hasselbank, Johnson, going back to like Kassaragi and right back into the 90s, these, you know, even these types of strikers would have finished another two of the chances that were put on the plate for him. But it's just, you know, it's just not happening. Um, I know you guys probably feel the same way about Defoe, but, um, you know, when I, when I watch him play, he doesn't miss that many guilt edge chances. I think Torres is just guilty of, of missing far too many clear-cut chances. And, you you know, we're not talking sort of half chances and, you know, we're talking sort of, you know, guys of of crossing in, he's got across his marker, he's just basically got to kind of run the ball into the net with his head and he sort of manages to put it seven yards over the crossbar or misses it completely and it's just, yeah, it's it's sad to watch, but, you know, that's kind of the reality of of what we have as a team, (laughs) unfortunately. Would you have him, Raj?
2: Torres, yeah, I'd I'd have him in a second. Um, I think he does... Looks shy of confidence, but I think um, he, he needs he needs to be somewhere that he he, he feels involved. Yeah, um, I agree with that. And I think somewhere at Chelsea, where he's not a, as big a fish as as he probably was at Liverpool at the time. I think at Tottenham, I don't think he'd, he'd be that type of way. But I think he'd he'd almost fit into to our club ethos a little bit more and the fact that he'd. He'd be able to, to to play his game a little more, a bit more naturally than than what he's allowed at Chelsea. Um, I think Chelsea strangely want a specific type of striker, yeah. And it's it it was ridiculous in the first place playing fifty million pounds for a player that that doesn't really fit into it. It was almost spending a lot of money for a, a square peg in a round hole. Really, um, it's done again, it's done that again this summer, but we can get onto that. <laughs> which is yeah which I, th- I think is is what it's about i think um i'm not entirely sure of the transfer policy at, at Chelsea is, but it almost seems as if Abramovich is is slightly uh slightly more involved there in in which he should be he's a he's an oil tycoon he's not a football man. he, sh- he shouldn't really be getting involved with with people he's signing um and Torres very much seems like a, a player he'd seen in an almost Football manager type way. Only he's not dealing with electronic money on a game. He's got enough money to actually go and spunk fifty million without really thinking about it. Well, I mean,
1: while we're here, I mean, it's probably before we go on to another question. It's probably a good point to bring up, William. Um, I know, yeah, we have been we've ran over a bit um, given the the talk we were having earlier. So we'll probably try and keep it as brief as we can. Um, I mean, it was a, it was a pretty bizarre. Turn of events, to be honest. Um, yeah. The way in which it all came about. I mean, what what was your understanding of it, Joe, on that side?
3: I, I can sort of, I'll extend it slightly to the transfer window as a whole. I mean, you know, Chelsea specifically this season, this season needed, you know, a, a world class striker, and there were there were definitely plenty about. Need a really top class striker, and uh, we needed a a kind of a sort of box to box type midfielder. I mean, we've been screaming out for that player for ages. You know, we we put a forty million pound bid in for moderates two years ago, you know, Levy obviously rejected that, but we've never gone back to that type of player. And I think this this summer is just uh symptomatic of the club not really knowing what they're doing. I just don't know who looked at you know, we had Kevin De Bruyne, who's probably been Belgium's best uh, player in the qualifiers, Hazard, Matter, uh, Oscar, um and Moses, you know, five really top class. Options in terms of wingers and attacking midfielders. I just don't know who looked at that and thought, you know, let's spend, you know, nearly 20 million quid on Sherlock and, and 30, whatever it was, 30 million pounds on, on William when we've got so many other areas of the team that needed strengthening. Um, William was just odd because, you know, him and Sherlock together, I think Cavani went for what, 50, 55 million pounds and that was 50 million pounds there. And, and you know, if you ask any Chelsea fan, I mean, I did uh, from my my blog sort of a, a kind of snap poll of you know would you rather have the, the attacking midfielders we had last season plus the Bruin and the striker and the midfielder or would you you know have the money we spent on just a load of random a random players this summer and, and it was kind of unanimous in the fact that everyone would have taken the striker the striker and the midfielder which is just just crazy you know we spent eighty million pounds and. Unlike yourselves, who have bought, you know, five or six players who either will definitely be first in players or you know at least push people very, you know, very tight in terms of starting. You know, we've bought two guys who are effectively substitutes, um, you know, for fifty million pounds, which is just insane. Um, I mean,
1: this, the the talk about William though that's um, that seems particularly interested. Again, it, not to tap too much into Abramovich's murky dealings yeah. and things, but I mean, a lot of people seem to insinuate that you know Spurs were in line to buy him for about thirty million pounds and then. Chelsea came in and almost just pretty much said no. Actually, we'll have him instead. Um, now, uh, I I don't know if I'm correct in saying that Abramovich has got a lot of money or has given a lot of money to Anzi previously.
3: So the- he is really friendly with the owner, or he was he was really friendly with the owner of, uh, of Anzi Macchala. I don't know how you say their team name, but yeah, I mean the I think Roman is or was a governor of or region of Russia, and this guy was one of his mates. Um, As far as I'm aware, Spurs flew him over, put him up in a hotel, had a medical, was about to go back to wherever to sign whatever the contract. He got a call at Spurs Lodge, um, came over to Chelsea and signed about half an hour later, which is just insane to think that something like that could happen. But it's just, it's crazy because A, we didn't really need him, but I don't. I just don't really know what on earth has happened there. To be perfectly honest, you know, Roman has got quite a few of these little billionaires that keep springing up with uh, with clubs. I mean, if you you know want something fairly interesting, Chelsea related, uh, we've basically got a B team in Holland now. Vitesse Arnhem. We've got about six or seven players on loan now at the moment. Um, the owner is again one of uh, one of Roman's pals. So we've, we're kind of stretching that sort of B team philosophy into uh into Holland but he's got all these contacts with various people that own clubs and stuff and it it just seemed really um personally just to just to piss Spurs off I think they did it purely on that basis and that's really the only reason I think that they've actually done it uh, this
1: is what I was I was interested to know if you actually paid much into the idea that you know there was this genuine kind of idea of well we don't want one of our kind of rival teams and someone who could arguably maybe push us for the league if they keep signing these bigger players. Um, let's let's take him away from them. But I mean, what I did want to go on to though is that, you know, the figure, you're saying you spent X amount. I mean, do you realistically think the figure was the same kind of amount of money that Spurs were going to be paying for Willian? Just I, given I, the I, way I it went around from a quickly. Few people, and...
3: From a few people, you know, um, kind of in and around, you know, people that get tidbits view the the local journalists that, that I follow and I talk to a fair bit of games. So the figure was closer to about twenty four million pounds. I think they actually got in for a lot less. Um and I think the um the way that it was sold was that they I think we paid next to nothing for Eto, but it was about twenty five for um William and about seven million or something like that for Eto is how they how Anzi saw it in terms of the actual actual sale. But um, yeah, I mean, I know well, it's not really a fact, but you know, people that I spoke to whose opinion I trust, um, you know, said that it was it was a little bit below 25. Although you know, the press will obviously go with a higher figure, um, and, and you know, even then, you know, 32 million pound for a substitute, you know, is is pretty bonkers, really. I was going to uh,
1: say, I mean, arguably, not to sound like a, a bitter, bitter Spurs fan, but arguably, it's worked out better for us in that we signed Christian Eriksen, which who I I don't think we would have signed had we. Bought Willian, and arguably as a know, player that you could probably benefit from having much more so than Willian.
3: Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'll you know be completely honest. I, if I was sort of looking at the chances this summer, you know, Falcao went for fifty million quid, Cavani for fifty five. Um, you know, Jackson Martinez at Porte was had apparently a thirty eight forty million pound buyout clause. You know, you're spending upwards of eighty million pounds. You know, these are players that we definitely want to come play in the Premier League. Would get paid well. Would be playing under a you know a, a world class manager. And you know, they've they've almost chosen to to ignore you know the main area of the team again. And it's just it's something that's going to cost us again this season. Not having a, a reliable striker. Um, you know, like I'm saying, that you know, Eden Hazard is not playing particularly well at the moment, and you know he's. I think his chances created, I mean, it's probably one of the worst stats in football, but the chances created stat that he's he's got at the moment was about four or five chances ahead of the next player. So he's, you know, he's still laying on the chances. It's just the fact that we haven't got anyone to convert them. Um, Everton, prime example, you know, 20, 22 shots, you know, I think about 15, 16, 17 of those were within the area, which kind of suggests a sort of pressure that they were under and we, we couldn't put one away. Um it's just it's just baffling really that the club can can you know, sanction 50 million could we to spend on two players that ultimately a were not needed and you know the money could have been better spent elsewhere on on at least you know you know definitely two genuine world class strikers which is just insane that we've we've kind of neglected that.
1: Well, moving on now to a question from I Spurs So um, or I I Spurs So yeah I Spurs So there we go. He says, "Joe, and this is this is verbatim something, something, something."
3: One matter, yeah. Um, God, this is probably me being a bit too analytical. You know, matter has been without question, you know, our best player for the past two seasons, and and in my opinion, probably the best footballer in the Premier League. Um, just on pure ability, you know, I probably. Debate that with Bao and maybe Suarez, but I think he's just been absolutely world class. But if he mean, was
2: the um, he was the best player in the Premier League last season, and that's coming from a Tottenham fan who got to watch Gareth yeah, Bale. One yeah. matter was a better footballer last season.
3: He was, you know, and and probably I mean you you know saw it at White Hart Lane. It was probably one of his best games away. The second half, him and uh, well, him in particular, he was just unbelievably good. But I think the you know the the kind of the look you, you really want to take is that. You know, since he's been at the club and he's been performing fantastically well, you know, the stats don't lie, his assists and goals record is phenomenal, we finished sixth in the league and third in the league. Now, if we're building a team around our best player, and that's kind of what we've got out of him so far when he's playing every week in a system that, you know, effectively it gives him a completely free role and, and you know everything that he's meant to be doing, either A, we should have signed a striker to, you know to actually really capitalise on that, which we haven't done, or B, change the system. And I think what Mourinho's done you know, and what he's probably done if you look at Real Madrid with the likes of Hazard of and Modric and Ronaldo is he's kind of made them more tactically aware. I think Modric is just a fantastic footballer. But he probably, he wasn't a fit at, at, at Madrid for maybe you know a season. But you know, towards the end of last season, well, probably most of our season, actually, he was just incredible. You know, he's become this kind of fantastic midfielder who can press, win the ball, really hype the pitch. And because he's such a good pass of the ball and distributing and such good technique, he can really hurt teams high up the pitch. But I think that's what he's he's looking to get Mata to do. You know, we've had to play systems over the past two seasons, really playing two very defensive-minded midfielders to kind of compensate for the space and, and the, you know, the inevitable that if we lose possession... Matter is not going to get the ball back. And I think that's probably why he's gone with Oscar at the moment. You know. And, you know, being completely fair, I don't think the drop-off between Oscar and Matter is that great. And if you're looking quite long-term, I think, you know, two years of consistent football, I think Oscar will, will probably be one of the best players in the world. Um, and I, I just think that's that's really what, what he's trying to achieve there. Um, you know, he's not, he's not looking short-term and he hasn't really had the benefit of, well, again, this is perhaps slightly crazy Chelsea logic, but... When Di Matteo took the job full-time and when Matter was playing brilliantly, Di Matteo knew for a fact that, you know, a couple of games uh, he'd get sacked, you know, it's, it's the kind of run of form. So he basically played his best team every single week for months, no sort of squad rotation. So, you know, he was playing the best players, getting the best out of them. Um, fought it in Europe, fought it against uh West Brom and, and, and got the second. And it was the same with Benitez, you know, he knew that he wouldn't see past the end of the season, so he could, you know, in theory, set up a team to play like reactionary football, just get it to matter, and hopefully that he does something with the ball. But I think that mentality is probably changing this season. You know, Mourinho said that he wants to play with this sort of high block, he wants to prep the ball. Um, you know, if you are a stats geek, if you look on the, the 442 website now, you'll see that, um, you know, uh, Oscar's ball recoveries and, and tackles and possessions and stuff that he wins. A lot of it's towards the final third, which is quite impressive that he can actually do that consistently for a whole game. Um, and I think that's that's really where the team's heading at the moment. Um, you know, it pains me to say, because you know, Mata probably is my favourite player at the club at the moment. I, I don't think I've seen anyone as technical or skillful as him at the club. And, you know, for someone to say that he probably touches or maybe maybe even slightly surpasses Zola is, is quite a big thing because Zola's my hero um, growing up. But I think the direction the team's going in, the kind of style that we're trying to play, that he's he's just not a perfect fit at the moment. Um, And it's something that we've seen Mourinho do before. He did it with Joe Cole when he was first at the club. I remember Cole scoring a winner against Liverpool, playing his sort of usual kind of Joe Cole type game. And Mourinho sort of really slated him after the game to the press, about him not playing for the team. Um, You know, thereafter, you probably had the two best years of Joe Cole's career under Mourinho when he was playing really disciplined football. Same with Ronaldo. I think I think Mourinho really made him into the complete complete player. And I think that's something that Mata needs to look at. And I hope he does, because he's, you know, if, if you've got a really, really good work ethic from him, I'm not really sure you would find a, a better ten in world football. And I, I think one of the things that I've been debating with Chelsea fans is I don't personally think that cazola or David Silva are better players you know, than than Matter, but they're purely picked on the basis that they're better tactically and defensively. Now you know that's that's the one area that Mourinho wants him to improve on, and I think that's that's really the the kind of the kind of state of where the club are at the moment. You know, it's just we want to become a, a team that wins the ball high up the pitch. We want to play this sort of attacking football and you know using the ball well, quick transitions, all that kind of jargon that, that seems to get thrown about. But you, you can't do that with with matching the team because he just doesn't he just doesn't apply that sort of pressure and he, and he can't win the ball that well, really where Oscar comes in. And I suppose that's why he's, he's not playing so much. We'll take, him off of your,
1: we'll take him off your hands in January, if you want. There, yeah,
3: you know? I, I really hope that doesn't happen. But, um, you know, it's it's crazy, really. Um, I, it's it's such a kind of rock and hard place because he's been he's just been above and beyond the best player at the club for, for quite some time now. Um, but it's it's really when you properly go hypercritical. I mean, you can look in Europe, for example, you know, when we play... Teams where we're not expected to have a lot of possession. He's he's next to uh, you know he's next to pointless on the pitch because you can't get him the ball. You know he doesn't he can't defend and you're you're effectively playing without you know without an extra body in midfield. Um, you know the one thing that, that might potentially help him is if we move back to a uh, four three three. I mean when going back to AVB, when he first came here, he played Mata on the left and right and and to be honest, you know he was still brilliant out there. Maybe not as influential. Um, but you know, still, still doing the business against Arsenal, United, etc. So he can definitely play out there. But I think in the current formation, this sort of uh, kind of De rigueur, kind of four-two-three-one that everyone seems to be playing at the moment, um, you know, he's just not going to play, which is, which is unfortunate. But you know, if he can rise to the challenge, you know, it's it's worked for like guys like Ronaldo. It worked for Joe Cole. It's worked for loads of players. You know, you look at Schneider. It's probably the prime example of uh, someone who was really attack-minded when he went to Inter Milan, and uh, you know their Champions League run. If you actually look at the amount of ground that he was covering from from a number ten, it was it was astonishing the amount of running that he was doing, and uh, and and still you know being kind of the match winner in terms of you know final third and and all the other bits and pieces that you would expect for him. So I mean I hope it happens. I would be absolutely destroyed if they sold him, but um, you know currently I can see where Mourinho is coming from, whether I completely agree with him or not. You know I would. Play him anyway, regardless. But you know, it's it's just one of those things, unfortunately.
1: I was going to say with regard to Spurs signing, I think there's more a chance of uh, Spurs unveiling me and Raj as a as a big money double signing than us getting Wanamaker. Uh, so have
3: J T as captain. He uh, he played quite well alongside uh, Vatonga, I think that's probably uh, equally as likely. But
2: um, yeah, I mean, I, I, that's that's that's,
1: that's an image I, I just don't want. In that, that's like that's worse than thinking of parents doing things <laughs> to one another. JT is England. JT, I'm, call- I'm calling him JT now. See, What's going that, on? What you have that, you I done to me?
3: I'd be slowly, slowly moulding you into sort of a West London hybrid. And oh. it's so fucking... JT, there you
1: go. It's, See, one of your mates there. Oh, no. This is... Uh,
2: uh. Let's, let's, let's
1: move on. I mean, the game... I just itself. did a little
2: bit of sick in my mouth.
1: Yeah. <laughs> right, thinking about John Terry
2: as Tottenham John Captain. Terry being one of my friends. Uh, <laughs> the only chance he would ever be one of my friends is if I was asked to rehabilitate him in the ways of being a human being in modern <laughs> society
0: I've
3: got, I've got no comment on that whatsoever um right I don't
1: know where to go with this right we have the game we've got a game on Saturday apparently <laughs>
2: we've <laughs> managed we to avoid it so far haven't yeah we?
1: we have um what are we going to do we're going to we're going to play you're going to play someone's going to win we might draw that's my analysis. But I think that's probably the best analysis I've offered of a game all season actually, right? <laughs> wouldn't you say? Well it's um befitting of Tottenham's Keith Chegwin, yeah. Yeah, well, you know, I'm I'm sitting here I'm just, just
3: stop. What are we gonna do? How's the game gonna go? Um Anyone? I think from <laughs> a, Yeah. From a from a Chelsea perspective, I would imagine um probably we'll see Ivanovic, Terry, Louise, Cole at the back. Probably Mikel and Ramirez in midfield. Um Oscar Hazard, either De Bruyne or Schuler on the right, and then I would probably go Eto up front. Um no, it's not it's not a fantastically balanced team, but yeah, it's it's been doing okay. I think we will struggle in midfield slightly. Um, if we play the two that I think what you've been very good at this season is is kind of you know using sort of the numbers. Pretty well in midfield when I've seen um, Paulinho and and Capu when he was first playing. But uh, you know Dembélé is a wonderful, wonderful player, and the fact that he's one of the very few central players in the country who can actually run forward with a football, which seems to be something that not many central midfielders apparently can do anymore, is actually dribble, which is insane. But um, I'm quite worried about that and uh, and out wide as well. it's uh, if Aaron Lennon is fit, then you know Cole Cole's probably in his last season of being like a top fullback. Um, He's he's playing with less cover in front of him. You know he's previously had guys like Malouda and Kalu, who were very hard working defensively. Uh, you know Eden Hazard. You know if if you get a jog out of him on the way back, you know you're doing quite well in terms of uh, you know in terms of defending. So he, he's being exposed really more and more in sort of two on one situations, and I'm I'm quite worried particularly with Lennon. Because he's just absolutely rapid, and I think he's he's got quite underrated crossing, and you know his sort of end product is, is pretty good. You know if you think I'm still. Perplexed just the I feel Walcott gets into the England team ahead of him, but probably just a reputational thing. But I'm quite worried about that. Um and also I just think just, just to oh.
1: cut in, I think Lennon, um, he probably won't be playing. Um will probably most, li- Townsend, most likely Townsend most likely, and just Townsend. Course, yeah. Um I think with with Lennon, I don't know, he seems to have still have a niggling injury. Um, yeah. part of the problem's been with the new system, the way in which uh you know AVB wants him to play. He's been kind of instructed to cut in as opposed to kind of run it down to the byline, whip it in as you normally see him do, you know, skinning kind of the fullbacks. Um, And he's always, he seemed to struggle somewhat when when he's been asked to do that. Um, Arguably, it's something that Townsend has, although I don't by any means think Townsend is a better footballer than Aaron Lennon yet. um, I think Townsend has probably got a hang of the, you know, the element of cutting inside and playing more in the system that AVB is dictating at the moment, because but that whole roll
3: from right wing, from yeah, in, exactly, in, it's, it's because they're
2: inverted shot. wingers rather than. I think the fact that Townsend more natural coming inside is because we're playing inverted wingers rather than having a right footer on the right and a yeah. left yeah. left. It's almost that Bayern by Munich. Um, dynamic of having the inverted wing is is something we're trying to replicate and I think that's why Townsend seems a little bit natural um, in that position. He, he's definitely not a better footballer than Aaron Lennon. Um, he's debating um, how good he'll be because um, I've obviously had my reservations on him in the past, yeah. uh, which isn't something that all Tottenham fans share, but um, he, he's, a, he's a prospect. Um, he'll certainly give his best against Cole, but... Um, He'll probably go off at some point for Lamella, who will grow into being that starting right-hand side player. Um, and from what I've seen tonight of him tonight against Villa, he's he's looking a lot better, and he set up our winning goal on the weekend. So I'm looking forward to him to him look, taking over the that that mantle in the bigger games. <coughs>
1: I mean, how do how do you see us? What do you think we got to worry about most with uh, with Chelsea,
2: Raj? Um, It's strange. Um, In the past, it would have been not conceding, but now I think it's almost scoring. Um, From what I've seen of Mourinho when he went away to um, Old Trafford, um, because he's not entirely settled there yet, um, because he's not entirely sure what his best first 11 is as yet, from what I can see, he's almost happy to take a point from from the bigger games um, or maybe perhaps nick it later on than what he is um, in terms of winning it so I do think Chelsea are going to give us um, for want of a better phrase a little bit of respect in that they are going to be a bit more defensive than perhaps they would be if they were playing someone else. Um, Midfield I think is a battle that we should be looking to win Um, there's no way that a midfield with John Obi in it is better than the one with Dembele, Polino, and Sandro in it. I mean, it's just not—it's nonsensical to think that he he might do better than those three players. Um, going forward, uh, it's going to be all about breaking Chelsea down because they've shown that they can sit and defend all day long. So I want—I want us to score, and just I want us to to try and score. At early. That
3: point on Mikel there. I mean, last season he completely outplayed Sandro, and I don't even know who's playing midfield at White Hot Lane and and in the return game. That was because I mean, ben from, from, was injured my, from, that from
2: a game. Chelsea point of view, he's you know he's he such an underrated player at the club. He was playing against Jet Livermore last season, so he may as well have been playing against my nine-year-old sister. Um, <laughs> if he didn't dominate a midfield with Jet Livermore in it, he doesn't deserve to be a professional footballer.
1: See, can you can you shed some light on this, Joe? Because you know, uh, much to my own detriment, I, I tweeted something this weekend, just pretty much questioning how Mikel was managing to stay in a team as. Good as Chelsea's is and and has been, because I've never particularly seen him. I don't think he's a bad player by any means. He's obviously a very good player, but he 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 just never has seemed like he's on that level. Whereas a lot of my mates who are Chelsea fans sort of jumped on me straight away, like, no, you're talking absolute crap. Like he's fantastic, he's brilliant, he's this, he's that. Like, it, it, you know, what are we missing if if you're, I you're
3: think, kind of um, you know Ray Wilkins for all his kind of insanity at times made a really good point on uh was it soccer sunday with uh Kamara the weekend. Um Mikel is essentially like a professionals player. He does kind of all the all the kind of hard graft. He wins so much ball in midfield. He you know he uses the ball really well. I mean he's got he's always got one of the best pass completions. He's you know he's trusted to, to take the ball in, in really tight areas and he just he lets other players play. But then I mean adding on from that as well, I know um, we we're watching the kind of Basel game and seeing Redknapp and I think it was Carragher talking to Michael Ballack about playing with him and you know Michael Ballack knows more about playing in midfield than me maybe you two I'm not entirely sure if you're world class midfielders but you know he he really for me he's one of the few footballers that really understands the game of football to a level that you know I wouldn't even contend in his opinion and, and his you know his words on McCall is that he was one of the best players he's played with you know he said he he destroys and creates and that's what he does in a game I think He's been a bit of a victim of the fact that he's almost a completely different player for Nigeria. I mean, if you watch the Confederations Cup game against Spain, um, you know, it was it was just insane watching him dribble around Xavi and Iniesta like they were training cones, playing like a number ten role, which I just I still can't get my head around how he does that for Nigeria. But it, you know, he's he's really undervalued um, as a player and he's one of those players because he doesn't score, or do anything flashy, you know, you never see him on a match today, highlights package you won't see him do anything amazing in the game, but when you kind of, re- if you look at the, you know, I don't really like judging games completely on stats, but if you look at his stats in every game, you know, he, he often has most touches of the ball, you know, most kind of, uh, most sort of forward passes. He's He's got sort of, you know, 80, 90 touches a game. He's got 90% pass completion. You know, he's passing the ball long, short. He's, he's really kind of breaking things up. And I do think he's, he's hugely underrated. And I, I, the reason he's probably still at the club, if you ask any Chelsea fan who, who was their man of the match in Munich, if you were to go away from the obvious in dropper, it was it was Mikel. He was incredible. Um, same in the new camp against Barcelona when we when we went down to ten men, and he was just unbelievable. Same in the home leg, he seems to be a player that I'm very unfortunately seems to play extremely well in big games. He's always played well against Arsenal. I think he's always played well against you, United, etc. He's never had that consistency where I think he's a bit David James like in that he doesn't concentrate against really poor teams. So he'll make one ricket in a game against someone rubbish, and I think that's kind of what gets picked up on in analysis, particularly by pundits. Oh, look at he's made one mistake, but you know, he, he might have made one mistake in eight games and it gets picked up on. Um you know, I would share the the sentiments of probably your mates saying that he's you know, he's probably the first name on the team sheet at the moment. He's he's been such a good player. And really, if you were, you know, looking at Chelsea, if you had a really, really good kind of box to box midfielder next to him, I mean I was I was desperate to sign Axel Witzel in the summer. I was thinking that him and Mikel would have been the perfect pair, but you know he he you know Ramirez ah, you know, going on to Ramirez. Ramirez to me is the weak link in that midfield. You now he's he's the guy who's got the, the like kind of Dembele role in that. He's the one who that should be bringing the ball forward, you know, distributing, joining attacks, creating, and and he just doesn't have the technical ability to do it. I think that's kind of where the midfield sort of imbalanced at the moment is. That Mikel is the better, the sitter, destroyer, better at doing the simple things. We've got no one in the entire squad. Which is again, you know, one of the reasons why a lot of us wanted to sign a midfield in the first place—that can actually just get the ball, either dribble past someone and pass it, or get it and, and kind of do that Modric role, or Fabregas role, or, or you know, whoever you want to, whoever you want to pick out. And that's really been, you know, the big problem. And, and I think that's where Mikel gets a lot of the, the undue criticism—is that he's playing with people, you know, that, that don't necessarily complement his his kind of game. And, and he, you know, unfortunately, because of his size and and I think people have obviously have expected a lot better from him since he came to. us. He just seems to get a lot of the criticism, you know, thrown his way. Um, you know, it's like you know, Carrick when he was at you. I thought Carrick was always a great player at Spurs. You know, he seems to have only got recognition in what, the last eighteen months at United. And it's uh, scant, scant recognition at that, really. Still, yeah, you know, very, very minimum, rec- you know, minimal recognition. But you know, he's been a fantastic, you know, that type of player for years. I, I just think it, it takes a while for them to get noticed, and you know, it's it's. Um, it's quite noticeable that when when we don't have him in the team, we we look like we've got no shape in midfield. I mean, you look at the you know the couple of games we played this season without him, particularly with Lampard, Ramirez. It's just been a you know all over the shop type performance, and and I think that's really been the the problem um, for the club. Really, is just not having that person to play with him, as opposed to looking to to get him out of the team. You know, we've had so many managers at the club; they can't all be wrong. You know, any decent manager we've had, Mourinho, Ancelotti, you know, Di Matteo, to an extent, or whatever didn't. they've all played him, uh, they've all rated him, They've, you know, he's always played in big games and I think he's just one of those players that like Michael Ballack said, you know, he, you appreciate him when he plays next to you but maybe not when you're in the stands. And how, how, do, you, how do you see the game going then? Um, I'm not confident at all to be perfectly honest. Um, I wasn't confident last season. I do, I'm not sure, I, I, I've got a feeling it, it's either going to be like ludicrous and be like free, or or I've got a feeling we're potentially going to get beat. Um, we're not playing well at the moment. Um, you know, I think it's quite obvious that we we you know you've already kind of touched on the fact we haven't really established the strongest eleven yet. Um, I, I think it'll be I'll go two one Spurs. Unfortunately, what about you, Raj? Um,
2: I reckon we might just nick it one nil um, that, or it'll be nil nil and they'll just completely shut up shop because the not. The type of manager just go all out and the attack as well. We'll have our have our defence ready in terms of, of sitting and I think the fact that we've got the best defensive record in Europe at the minute isn't an accident. Yep. Uh Loris is is the best keeper in the league for my money. He's just unbelievable. Um the defence, um Dawes will play Vertongan will probably play um Walker and uh, hopefully Danny Rose if he's fit, no, it's he's, not. He's out, Rose is out. Uh, it'll be Carl Norton then, which is probably a weak link, but it's it's still functional. Um so yeah, I, I can see it being very tight. Um I agree with the fact that it could be one of those batshit games where there's there's fucking loads of goals on either side, but I think it'll take something fairly exceptional for that to happen. But um I hope we nick it one nil. But I said that when we played Arsenal. But you're gonna go with one nil though. Yeah, one nil.
1: I can't, I can't help but think it's just going to be an awful game. That it's not really going to be a, a great one for, for the neutral or for well, anyone. That way. It's going to be a good game. It's Tottenham Chelsea, so you know it's 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 going to be fun for those who are there and for all the fans involved. But I think it's it's going to be a dogged, dogged game. Um, no one's going to give each other. There's going to be a lot of respect paid. I think from from either side, probably more so um, from Chelsea to us than they've maybe given us in in recent years. I think for Mourinho as we've we've touched on the the kind of the off-field stuff with him and AVB he's probably going to be pretty cautious about being shown up by AVB and you know doesn't want to lose in a in a uh in a derby given the sort of negative press he's getting at the moment um AVB of course coming up against Chelsea is always uh it's it's always an interesting one to see which way he'll go, but I don't think he really lets that that pollute his thinking too much, or at least he doesn't let on. I'm sure, you know, it's probably naive to suggest that there's not part of him that's thinking, I fucking hope, you know, we beat Chelsea given that they sacked me. Um but as Roger said, we're still we're not gonna go for it. I'm most I'm gonna be mostly interested to see how Christian Erickson will play um against a team that aren't gonna give him as much space and as much freedom as he's probably had. In the past couple of games he's played, because he's looked absolutely fantastic. I mean, he's for for a player that cost us twelve million pounds, he's looked like the player that's cost us thirty odd mil to sign. Like he's been absolutely phenomenal. Um, and how he's going to step up against you know a, a much stronger midfield in Chelsea is going to be really interesting for me. Um, I I I can't help but see it being a draw. To be honest, I think probably two two. I would say personally speaking. Um, just touching on that Ericsson thing, what would would you say it'll be um, a, a tough test for him, Raj? Well, it obviously goes without saying it'll be a tough test, but how, how do you see him performing?
2: Um, he's always done well in the Champions League games where he's come across better opponents. He's always seen like he can hold himself there. Um, I don't think it's going to be a slow game. I think the, the, the pace of the passing and everything will suit him and the fact that it'll be fairly quick. Um, I think he'll get the chance to, to play the odd defence splitting pass, just given the nature of the game and, and how fast both teams will be breaking, because we're both fairly counter-attacking teams. Um, so I'll be interested to see what, how he how he goes there. I think it's a game that Soldado should be able to, to score in, because it's not going to be a game where the smaller teams tend to concentrate on those type of players and mark them out of the game, whereas the bigger teams will try and defend as a unit more so it's almost more of a chance for bigger players to make an impact in those type of games than it is against smaller ones just because chelsea's got a, a, a more a defence that's more cultured in in defending against an entire team rather than just try to block a player out of the game so um i think that he could he could have a better impact but it's it's certainly one that's going to be interesting i mean if there's not headlines made on the field then there's going to be headlines made in the stands so um it'll be interesting either way well, there you have it. Um, I think
1: we've spoken for about five hours now, so it's going to be going to be good fun to edit. But whatever version of this that you're hearing, it was quite obviously the best version that I've managed to sand down out of the uh, the, the verbatim that I've probably gone on the verbose. I'm not even saying the right word. See, that's what's happening to me. Um, but thank you very much for joining us, Joe. Um, it's been it's been been educational. Oh, <laughs> it's been a pleasure guys <laughs> yeah it's, it's and uh raj as ever thank you
2: for coming here it's all right um apologies to joe for implying that he's immoral <laughs> he, he is he's a chelsea fan he's he's,
1: he's <laughs> yeah, racist chelsea
3: fan, yeah chelsea fan and banker. so I'm, I'm not really winning too much in that respect so yeah it's probably quite a good criticism
1: you, you're definitely not to be honest Um uh, I'm, I'm allowed to, to yeah. I've I've used you for all I need now, Joe. You've been on you've been on the podcast. I can start being horrible to you now, but okay. uh, yeah, I, I do just want to say I I hate Chelsea more than I hate Arsenal. I've grown up in I've grown thank up. You. In, th- th- thank Chelsea. you for confirming that. To, uh... okay. I yeah. have to just just
3: just on a quick note on Arsenal. Fans, <laughs> do you think, since they moved to the Emirates, that they've just become more and more middle class and just obscenely weird in in every respect? Is that just the Chelsea thing that we've noticed?
1: No. What did you see that Royce joining arms thing outside? Uh, I mean,
3: it, it, I don't, I don't know how they can they can top the level of sort of cringe week upon week. It's just it's just insane how how bad they've become from leaving Highbury, and they, they can give everything about having loads of history, but. They've moved what, like seventy five times to different stadiums now. They are they are. I mean they're basically the original MK Dons. They um, are. You, um, I mean, buy it, the yeah, it's, just insane. it's just insane how bad they've become. I mean, the Urzel thing was just the icing on the cake. I just I don't even really know where to begin with those guys anymore. But
1: don't, don't forget the lads. I mean, whatever we say about Dembele, Ericsson, about Mikel, about Juan Mata, they've got they've got Ramsey who is who is apparently now the best midfielder. No, you like, call him Ramsey.
2: You've got to refer to him as Rambo, haven't you? Is oh, is it yeah, Rambo? The, Rambo, yeah. It. It's actually Rambo. copyrighted like that. Be, best midfielder then, in Europe, apparently. So. You're not allowed to be an Arsenal fan and not put an umlaut on your name either because that's <laughs> a dumb thing for, for grown men to be doing. Well, well they yeah. have it. Arsenal, I mean, Arsenal, it was worth it. Yeah,
3: John, John Cross did it, which is just like, incredible. John
2: Cross, John Cross once said when we had, when we sacked Harry Redknapp that Daniel Levy was up there with the Venkies and he was... Uh, He's, he's, he's a nonsensical. The the fact that he's got a job in the media severely dents the authority that the British press have, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, I mean it's the, just easier the, the less easy, well, the lesson
3: about him the better. Yeah, yeah. I mean it's just you know I think what I suppose the the, the kind of thing that I was typing is that I do generally think that the Chelsea Spurs game now is probably the last proper kind Of derby rivalry in, in that, that there's general animosity outside the ground, inside the ground, and there's an actual atmosphere that which I do really like. And to be perfectly honest, I don't think I've had that at Arsenal since I can actually remember going to the Emirates. So, I mean, it's on that respect, it's you know, it's still my favorite game of the season. White Hart lane away, and you get uh, what is that?
1: So, you can get a bit naughty, Joe. Yeah, you come down, come down, come down the seven sisters, get a bit naughty, mate. Yeah little bit, yeah. yeah no,
3: yeah, uh, right, okay. no, no, no. I've got, um, I've got a few uh, Spurs <laughs> cousins, so uh, I tend to go in that purpose that I shouldn't. But, um, no, so, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm really looking forward to the game, and uh, without uh, any, any prejudice to, I hope we absolutely stuff you.
1: Well, there we go. It's, <laughs> uh, yeah. Just that's it. Fuck off. Stop listening to us. <laughs>
3: Good night, everyone.
1: <laughs> uh, thank okay. you for listening. Yes.